Hello, everyone. My name is Adam Wingard, and I'm the director of this movie. And I'm so excited to finally be at this point where I'm sitting in a room comfortable and uh, recording the audio commentary. Um, I'm just going to jump right in. We, we just released the trailer uh, a couple weeks ago, and that's been a real blast to see, you know, to finally, you know, be able to show people, you know, anything in the movie. This opening actually. Um, I'm going to probably be talking about stuff like this quite a bit throughout the movie, uh, it, it, you know, about how there's alternate versions of the film. I mean, uh, you know, this was not the original opening of the film. It was something that came up, you know, just as we were uh, deep into production. Um, uh, originally, it started with, you know, Gia here uh, out in the jungle. So this was all the same, but actually starting with Kong as a character was something that we really didn't have quite the confidence to do until um, much later on. Um, you know, once we really were able to see the monsters as characters and, you know, being able to, you know, fully have the confidence of saying, you know what, like, we can treat Kong just like another human character. We can point the camera at him and, you know, uh, but that was an evolving process. Uh, that shot right there, I should give credit to Josh Schaefer. He's the editor, and when we were on production in uh, Australia, he suggested that we throw something um, in that little montage of Gia running around to try to um, uh, to imply that there's something more afoot technologically uh, within this opening. Um, and actually the thing that's in the tree back there that she runs past the little piece of technology is actually part of the the heave you can see it it's 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 a little thing on the front of the heave craft and we we just had it and we didn't have any money for anything else so we just took it off and threw it in a tree and it looks like something it looks like a projector or something like that um this this uh, this shot right here was uh, one of those kind of right right from the storyboard to the screen type of shots. Richard Bennett, who uh, is one of my favorite storyboard artists of all time, he works with Christopher Nolan all the time. Um, he he came up with that idea of the, uh, the 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 staff that he's throwing in the air being sort of like a Apollo launch, you know, uh, shot and. Um, and, and it's it, it really stuck all the way through sector 7g Simpsons fans will enjoy that part there uh, so this is a little bit of reshoot and a little bit of uh, original shoot so uh, the first two shots in the sequence were in Hawaii and then these shots here are uh, over at WB and they they work together really nicely rivalry stems from Iwi mythology he's got too big over time this environment won't sustain much longer it's too unstable. These are some more you and company you uh, and co titles um, which are really cool um, kind of laying in a little bit of a uh, in search of unsolved mysteries uh, you know colorful colorful thing with the opening um, 
You know, I'll talk a little bit about the music here uh, right off the bat, just because, you know, music in my films has always been the most important thing to me, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I always think about, like, how John Carpenter always said that uh, every movie he did uh, um, is really a Western and um, I think in some ways, uh, if, if I had to pick my own version, I would say every movie I've done is, is actually a musical in disguise, um, uh, even though I don't think I would ever actually do a musical musical. Um, but this is really my first time doing a film that has a big orchestral, big Hollywood score to it. And, uh, and I have to admit, I was a little um, resistant at first. I really wanted to go uh, much more of a synthwave route for the entire film and uh, you know originally I wanted to um, to have uh, Matt Pusty who uh, he, he's he's created the band Makeup and Vanity set and uh, we end up using one of his Makeup and Vanity set songs and he does some really cool stuff it was very much more John Carpenter like so then I started meeting with composers and you know Junkie XL you know Tom he he was by far, like he was just such a big Godzilla fan and we really hit it off right away and he has that electronic kind of inspiration in his music and background and so I was like, that that was like, okay, I feel comfortable with this, he can do it all and give me everything I want and and, and he was very pro, you know, the themes and all those kind of things and um, I really came around on it as production went on and um, especially when I saw the movie playing for uh, an audience for the first time. It was like, you know, I, you know, this is not the time to rewrite the script on a score. It's like sometimes you gotta just get in there and, um, you know, let those themes rip. And, you know, with with this film, like you'll notice that there's no pre-existing um, themes from the other Godzilla movies uh, or Kong. We actually did everything from scratch, and, you know, we wanted. To us, I think it was like, you know, Doherty did the, you know, the, the true Godzilla throwback stuff and, um, and you know, the, um, the, the original themes, which are all just so gorgeous and, and great and they work great in that movie. But, you know, for me, it was like this is this is the legendary Godzilla and this is this is a new Godzilla. And he's the you know, he's the villain in this movie. He's a different character sort of. Uh, um, to a certain degree, so we wanted the score to reflect that, and, and, and Junkie came up with this great, great Godzilla theme, which I think really kind of lives up to the legacy, but it was also doing something new. Uh, but that was really a conscious choice to, to, to say, this is, this is the legendary Godzilla, and he's got swagger, he, you know, he's a badass. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I, just to talk a little bit about Godzilla, too, in, in general, and in, in the approach to this film, I mean, obviously Kong has a very different look in this film. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's older, he's, he's more scruffy, <laughs> he's worn down, he's the gunfighter who's, uh, you know, doesn't have a gunfight to, to, to keep him going anymore, and so he's kind of a little bit lost, and... You know, so he, he has like a much more aged kind of look from Skull Island, but this film is a direct sequel to King of Monsters. And uh, um, and even though the studio would have let me put my own kind of spin on Godzilla, just like Doherty changed the dorsal fins to be more classic, um, I kind of just wanted to keep them, you know, exactly the same as you saw in the last film, because with this film, I wanted to be like, you know, oh, no, it's not like a new Godzilla and a new Kong and we're restarting it. I wanted it to really feel like this is a definitive Godzilla versus Kong. 
and that's that's what you're seeing here. And um, so that's kind of why we didn't really uh, mess with Godzilla, even though I, in retrospect, I wish I made his head a little bit bigger because his head is a little small, and you know, um, and, and, and it, it does hurt some shots where you're just like, really, his head is really small. <laughs> <laughs> he looks good. He's got his angles, you know, and he's a great looking creature, but sometimes that head, you know, and I, I hear that complaint a lot too. So, but sorry, you know, the, those are the sacrifices you got to make sometimes. <laughs> I'm a toaster. Look at this thing. I have to go to the bathroom. Is it one or two? Because if it's two, it's probably from these apples. And uh, you want to use the hand sanitizer that I made? I'm good. Okay, I'll just stay here. This was a sewage treatment plant. Um, uh, actually, that last one was Australia. That's a shot from one in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, the secret of these sci-fi movies like this, especially monster movies, is you always end up shooting in sewage treatment plants because they got all these miscellaneous pipes and they just look technical. So every one of these films always ends up in a sewage treatment plant uh, for one, one way or another. There's our... You know, Apocalypse Now, Godzilla intro. That was a, a late uh, addition. Um, th this 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 whole section here, you know, was a was um, you know, I would say the first thirty minutes of this movie uh, went through a lot of different changes. Um, there was a you know a lot of different actual story points that were kicking the film off, and um, this is kind of where we we landed. But um, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. That helicopter, the blades aren't actually turning. Uh, those are CG, but they look really great. And uh, CG wind all around. Um, so this section right here used to be part of a bigger sequence. Um, this was actually a four-day shoot of people running. You know, there's probably lots of extras in this right here that are... Uh, oh, actually, by the way, I should mention that my first AD was in that first shot of all the people running. He's in the foreground. But... Um, this sequence was shot in Hawaii and it was like four days long of just like, you know, people running and Millie Bobby Brown and Julian Dennison's character were originally in that sequence um, being chased and um, there was a, a big human stampede and, you know, all this stuff and uh, the, the sequence ended up changing but uh, we were able to kind of re repurpose that footage uh, for this right here. And there's a lot of that. I mean, it's shocking when you're doing a movie at this big budget level and you you end up repurposing more footage in weird ways than I mean than I've ever done on any movie. Uh, but you can you can't tell it's you know and, and it's some of those things is what makes the movie feel big. It, it, you know that you can just cut to uh, a crowd of 400 extras for you know, four shots and just be done with it. Um, where it is an actual fact it took, you know, four days. This was actually shot during daytime. That was a different, uh, that used to be a different um, actual Monarch base. Uh, that those were actually Monarch people getting blown up there. Uh, and uh, it, in, the, in the production, we ended up changing things around. And um, 
repurpose that footage of those people blowing up. And my mom was actually there that day. It was a very proud moment. We got to stand off to the side while those Jeeps were exploding. Um, and it was, it was pretty glorious looking. Oh, this shot right here of Godzilla on screen, this is interesting because that's actually an unfinished VFX shot um, from the original opening of the movie. And so it, it's actually, I think it only went through one pass. It just had like, it was very unfinished if you actually saw it just by itself. Um, but we needed a shot of Godzilla on the news. And so my um, uh, VFX editor is a very clever guy. He just took his phone out and shook it around and filmed it off of the his monitor and uh, we put it in there and you, it looks like a finished shot and uh, you know there it is it's in the movie and um, you know you, it's it's funny like it doesn't matter what budget level you're at you're just always going to have to cut corners and, and get, get clever and there's never enough money um, movies are always budgeted completely wrong <laughs> they're always budgeted uh, you know 30% uh, uh, you know less than what you need um, no matter what size but it just upscales you know because you know uh, everybody wants more um, and you got to figure out how to make it work um, this was the first day with Millie Bobby Brown um, uh, and and Kyle um, and it was really funny because this was the first time I really had a real inkling of um, how famous Millie was. Um, she was uh, not late to set, but she was one of the last ones to show up on set. And I remember all these extras, I think it was like 200-something extras, were just um, standing around this base camp. And, um, you know, we're all just waiting. You know, things are getting set up. And Millie shows up and kind of just, you know, she's always in a great little mood and she's kind of bouncing around. and. Um, she decides, uh, we, we talk with Kyle, we're like, well, why don't we, you know, run, run through your lines and, you know, just see what this thing sounds like real quick. Very informal, no camera around or anything like that. And so they were just reading off the script. And I just noticed that, like, suddenly the sound of 200 extras became dead quiet. And I looked over and every single extra is just staring at Millie. And you can see them kind of, like, whispering to each other. And... You know, they were very excited. And I was like, wow, she's 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 bigger than everybody here. You know, like um, it was it was pretty funny. Um, so this was uh, another this was our big reshoot scene. We only had one day to do it, of course, somehow. Uh, it was like six pages long. My office hours are nine to five. Please, Maybe Dr. You... Lind. What the? Guys like you and me, we don't do normal hours, do we? I've been fixated on Hollow Earth for as long as you have. Your theory that it's the birthplace of all Titans is fascinating. Your book was very impressive. Oh, yeah? Well, I got about 30 unsold boxes in my apartment if you want some. <laughs> Walt Simmons. I know who you are, sir. It's an honor. No, the honor is mine. As is the urgency. Godzilla has never attacked us unprovoked before. These are dangerous times, Dr. Lind. Allow me to introduce our Apex Chief Technology Officer, Mr. Renzerizawa. He has uh, an interesting thing to show you. Magnetic imaging from one of our new satellites. You know what this is, right? Horror. An ecosystem as vast as any ocean, right beneath our feet. This energy signal is enormous and almost...
And real quickly, I, I should talk about that. We, we kind of had a funny name for this scene uh, as we were doing it, which was Beardgate, uh, because uh, Skarsgård, he had just done the stand. And when we were doing these reshoots, he was in the middle of production and he had to have a beard for that and he couldn't shave it. We ended up like trying to figure out like, OK, you know, what are we going to do with these scenes? And luckily, this one's his first scene. So it made sense that he had a beard. Fortunately, we were able to cobble together some footage from other scenes and inserted them in there. And it worked great. You never know. We changed quite a bit in this uh, first half hour, but we had to do it very, very surgically. We ended up only having, I think it was like five, maybe like a, maybe there was like a half a day for six days uh, worth of reshoots, which is actually um, shorter than any of these movies have done. Generally, they, they spend about, you know, two weeks on reshoots and stuff, but, um, you know, we, we kind of came in this thing as, uh, you know, uh, one of these productions where we're like, well, let's see if we can <laughs> come in on budget, you know, and, uh, and and try not to, you know, blow a bunch of extra money. And um, so it was a bit experimental, but we pulled it off. And uh, and and I think to a certain degree, that's 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 why uh, probably hired me because of my independent background. And uh, I've done movies of all different budget levels and. Uh, you know, I've always been pretty responsible, bringing things in on time, never gone over budget, and uh, and I'm very resourceful, I guess. What if I told you that we at Apex have created a phenomenal craft which could sustain such an inversion? I love holograms. It's so fun to finally be able to shoot a hologram in a movie. <laughs> uh, this is obviously very Star Wars uh, <laughs> holograms. Uh, Return of the Jedi came up a lot and um, when we were talking about all this. Help me. Help everyone. Finding this needle in a haystack is our best shot against Godzilla. Well, I, uh, I might have an idea, but it's crazy. I love crazy ideas. They made me rich. Are you guys familiar with genetic memory? It's a, it's a theory that all types share a common impulse to return to their evolutionary source. Like spawning salmon. Exactly. We're a, we're a homing pigeon. So if, if this is the Titan's home, and this life force sustains them. A Titan could show you the way. Yeah. With a little help of an old colleague. I just want to point out that I, I drew all those, um, all the art there. I really have fun doing kids' art, like the one behind her head, too, and a lot of those on the wall. Like, the funny thing is, like, you can never get uh, the art department to do, uh, like, real-looking um, child art um, because they're, they're, they're all just too they're, – they're too good of artists. <laughs> um, they, they, they paint too much in the lines, and so – um, I, I have a lot of fun sitting off to the side um, uh, with a bunch of crayons. And the art department loves just giving me a bunch of art supplies and crayons and stuff and letting me go to town. Um, 
but uh, and I'm actually the type of guy that's like going around on set to like you know showing people like you know like a kid like look what I did. No way! Am I letting you drag him halfway across the world to use him as a weapon? No, not as a weapon, as an ally to protect us, lead the way down there. What even makes you think that he'll go in? You always believed that Skull Island was like hollow earth come to the surface, right? And that's where Kong's ancestors came from. Mm -hmm. Through the entrance in Antarctica, we could help him find a new home. He could save ours. Hers. That power source may be our only hope. We gotta stop Godzilla. This is our only chance. We have to take it. Okay. Yes. All right. But when it comes to Kong, what I say goes. <laughs> you name the terms. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. You won't regret this. Mm, I already regret this. I'm the biggest Elvis fan of all time. Um, I have an Elvis movie that I've been working on since the beginning of this production, and this song, um, this song was the uh, the first piece of music that I found that was really inspirational to me. Um, and I knew that I had to use it in the film and, and from the get-go I kind of thought that this would be the place for it like lyrically it's just so fun like the tone of Elvis you know I just I saw Kong as sort of like old Elvis um, you know like just a little out of shape and you know not not doing too well <laughs> that's kind of like the you know equating that and then obviously um, you know, Skull Island being in the 70s, um, using a, a 70s Elvis song is totally the way to go. And so, so, so happy that um, it, it ended up in the movie. Um, there was actually originally going to be one other Elvis song um, uh, later on, uh, but uh, it didn't end up uh, making it through. Uh, probably for good cause, but, um, you know, one will do. One will do. <laughs> Um, so this is in Australia. This is uh, a really cool set. Um, we, we built this set twice, once upside down, uh, that we could lower in the water for later on during the action scene. And this is the normal right side up version. I love her little <laughs> smile there. Um, Gia, the, the actress, Kay, Kay, uh, Kaylee, she's um, <laughs> so amazing. She's one of my favorites ever. She's uh she's one of those just natural performers you know she's actually deaf and um uh and and you know i'll be honest like i i, I took um sign language classes for i don't know like two two and a half months or something um maybe longer maybe three months 
uh, leading into production, and I was just so bad at it that um, I just ended up using a uh, translator the entire time because I just felt like I was going to embarrass myself. And she was very no-nonsense. Um, you know, I was actually more intimidated by her. I mean, like, the, 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 the audition process for Gia was really funny because, you know, they were looking for a very specific type of person, and you know, and, you know, deaf actors, you know, they don't really get a lot of opportunities, I think. I've charged to light up Vegas for a week. Feel free to be impressed. Wow. Kaylee, I think, had done, like, a commercial, I, I believe, like an app commercial. Um, but they found her, and we kind of, like, we didn't, I didn't actually see a lot of people for that role. The casting directors saw a ton, but they whittled it down to about, I think, six people. We picked two to see, and um, the, the, the other, uh, we saw a boy and a girl. She was obviously the girl, and um, the boy was, like, I think, like, six years old, and he was just too young. I mean, like, when we brought him in for auditions, it was just, he was a kid, you know, like, he wasn't focused, and <laughs> it was like, oh, God. So Kaylee comes in, and um, and I'm I'm still kind of in kid mode, you know. Like I I have my basic sign language things that I'm doing for encouragement, and I'm you know I'm 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 handling her very slowly, like you you do kids sometimes, and uh, and it was very clear that uh, she was having none of that, and that um, uh, that she was not to be treated like a child at any point. <laughs> she she just. She was just she she looked at everything immediately from the character's perspective, and uh, there was none of this uh, amateur hour stuff, you know. Like I was instantly just like, I mean, I, I just knew that like she was going to be perfect. I mean, there was no question. Um, she just blew everybody away, and um, you know, I remember when we were shooting this scene. Actually, um, she was always very serious, like. When she was on set, it was, you know, you, you do not treat her like a kid. She is a serious actor, and uh, which she is. I mean, it's totally true. She's really great. But I remember I was, like, trying to get her to laugh. And so I remember right before we shot this, like, I have this little, like, dance that I can do. Like, I do this little kind of Michael Jackson-y kind of moonwalk dance, you know, with a little spin. And uh, I, I tried to do that in front of her to, like, get a reaction. And she was just completely deadpan. <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to leave her alone and just, let, you know, when she shows up, I'm going to let her do her thing. And I'm going to stay out of her way. And, and that's what I did. This was in Hawaii, uh, dumping rain on actors, always fun. Actors love that. Um, you know, this was actually at an airport. This is the same airport that they shot the uh, boat scenes uh, for Kong Skull Island. You know, it's just the classic way you do these things. You take a big piece of tarmac, you paint over it, and then you put your things on it and, you know, green screen around the side, and you're good to go. Um, yeah, this was actually one of the first like really cool pieces of concept art I remember we got um, the the shot of Kong reaching down to her and uh, and the final version looks pretty much like it I will say that we were a little sensitive to some of the lighting I know that like we wanted to make sure that you could you know see the monsters we didn't want to we didn't want to get any complaints from anybody necessarily about 
you know, not being able to, you know, dig into the movie because they, you know, the monsters were hard to see. But, you know, we have this rain scene and, you know, so there's a couple times where we're cheating the lighting a little bit. And I think the shot would have been like, for instance, the shot of him touching her finger probably would have been a little bit better if we could have just gone a little darker. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, let's see the monsters. Let's show everybody what we got. And, um, you know, go from there. Which, by the way, I mean, like this film originally, I think, had a lot more... Um, a lot more dark and rainy stuff in pre-production and you know I mean it's just like you know when you're doing art for this type of stuff it looks really cool and it's very epic and apocalyptic and um, but we kind of slowly started moving away from that even before um, King of Monsters came out uh, you know for a variety of reasons but this was sort of like one of the last remnants of that and um, uh, yeah. Uh, actually, I should mention like that out, out, outside of the, the, the bridge, all those scenes, all those nighttime scenes with the rain, um, that's not green screen outside. That's all just real practical. Those are practical lights and, uh, and rain on the glass. And uh, it looks 100% convincing. And again, another nice uh, low budget, uh, if you can call it that, which it's not really, but, you know, lower budget than just putting a green screen and uh doing effect shots because, you know, those effect shots, no matter what you're putting in them, are going to cost a lot more money than if you can come up with another solution. Um, so, again, this was in uh, Hawaii here. I actually was staying on this street. Um, uh, my, my house uh, was right down the road uh, up there, so I was able to walk to set for the first time ever in my life. That was fun. You'll see that Julian's actually wearing a different Judas Priest shirt here. Um, than he is in the very next scene. And it's, this is because this used to be a, a different day. Originally, they were going to be going to uh, the pier, um, which was in the opening. This scene used to take place. This was like, I feel like maybe the second scene, second, yeah, second sequence in the movie um, after the failed mission. Um, but uh, we kind of reshot just a couple of these close-ups, you know, just... Um, it's a little bit of both, you know, like that's from the original shoot, you know, that's from the original shoot. You know, there's lots of scenes like that where in these first half hour where you get a little bit of the original shoot and then the five day uh, surgical shoot. Um, the uh, the van I, I was really one of uh, Terry Rossio's idea. He ran the writer's room for this film. Really brilliant guy. He did like the Pirates of Caribbean. And Aladdin and those kind of things. We don't ground with you. Knock it off! Wait, this is the part I was telling you about. I know you've been marked. One or two gallons won't cut it. I need my bleach in bulk because spy dust is real, people. I mean, come on, invisible till they dig it up. That's how we find him. The bleach. Bleach. He consumes a ton of bleach. He drinks bleach. Showers with it. Oh. Yeah, I shall with bleach. No, what? Prevention against organic tracking technology. See? Tradecraft. Would have made more sense if you just drank it. Fine. One more place. Madison, this is getting old. Hey, you sell bleach? This isn't one of those internet challenge things. Because when I saw those kids, those detergent pods, I didn't know they were going to eat them. Still dealing with the lawsuits from that. Look, we're looking for a guy who works for Apex Cybernetics. Buys a lot of bleach, like every night. He's probably paranoid, high strung, doesn't like daylight, you know, has a lot of crumbs in his beard if he has a beard. 
Okay. Uh, this is Ronnie. He's really funny. His, his improv in this scene was just hilarious. He he had so many different, <laughs> so many different versions. Um, some of which I can't even repeat because uh, they're they're a little a little racy, but um, <laughs> pretty funny. Um, again, this is all Australia. This was right around the corner. You know, it's uh, it's really funny when you're doing you know film. You're 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 constantly trying to find locations that are relatively close to each other because. You know, no matter what size production you are, you, you have to still be able to move, uh, um, you know, uh, quickly and uh, efficiently uh, from location to location. And so this was like literally like a couple feet away from where we just were. And, uh, you know, like, I, you know, now knowing that, that that's the way movies work, it's kind of funny because I remember I visited New York um, uh, like about two years, three years ago. And uh went to go see uh, Sigourney Weaver's apartment from Ghostbusters. And um, I was uh, really, in, you know, kind of fascinated by the fact that there's a bunch of other locations from Ghostbusters right around that corner from that apartment for the very same reason that I'm talking about here. Uh, but I won't talk about Ghostbusters anymore, even though I would love to. Um, you know, like I, I had just done Death Note right before this film, so I was like really on to the neon cafe look. And um, so this is part two of my neon cafe series. That one was blue in Death Note and this one's red, which, uh, you know, which one's better? I don't know. But uh, this is one of my favorite kind of sets and uh, uh, just from a simplistic kind of cool lighting standpoint. Um this is also kind of a turning point stylistically for the film where we start slowly pushing the film into a more sci-fi, colorful, vibrant direction. Um, you know, I always wanted the movie to kind of not just thrust you into this crazy color palette, but to slowly uh, pull you in. You know, as the movie goes, we get more and more over the top in sci-fi, you know, uh, and, and the color palette's one of those things that really helps. and. Uh, in, in the music as well, and that, that's something I've always done in a lot of my movies. Like if you watch The Guest, it, the the tone of it gets more and more ridiculous as the film goes. And but you know it grounds it at first in the beginning, and even the music gets more over the top. Um, and and that's always a good signifier to push the audience in a in a direction. Um, you know, uh, of, of changing style, I think. Uh, and, and it really goes back to that whole, you know, every movie I do is a musical thing, I, I think. Um, this was uh, one of those scenes where we only had a day, and I remember it, it was a little stressful going in, but we everybody totally nailed it. Uh, you, you know, when you're working with um, underage actors, um, you, you get so little time to work with them. I mean, like, they have school hours, they have... Um, Wait, real quick, I want to talk about this. Um, this shot, I've always on the fence on. Like, I, like him kind of smiling here, you know, like every other time I watch this, I feel like, is this cheap, you know? Like, I wanted a moment where we weren't just beating Kong up because I, you know, this is a movie for kids, really, at the end of the day. And I, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm able to remember and tap in pretty well to the feelings that I had when I watched movies as a kid. And, you know, you're filling in a lot of stuff in your head when you're younger and, uh, you know, things can be really dark and, 
And at a certain point, I just wanted to make sure that it was like, you know, the, that the kids can still enjoy Kong and that he's not just sad and he's beat up. And it's maybe a little early in the movie to do that. But it was it was a point where I just felt like, you know, what, we should show him at least enjoying something. You know, he's getting fed. He's hungry. You know, maybe he's still miserable in the boat. You know, maybe he's a little messed up from those drugs. Maybe that's why he's smiling. But like, you know, we need to give him a nice little moment. Um, Originally right here, uh, Skarsgård's actually looking, if you look um, at his finger there, he actually has a rubber band on his finger, and you can see it in the wide shot, and originally that's what he was looking at because he proposed in the original opening to the film uh, to his, uh, um, his fiance, um, and he didn't have a ring, so he gave her this rubber band, and he's kind of, that, it, that was a signifier that he was constantly always thinking about her in the movie, and that's one last little remnant of it there. And to Skarsgård's credit, I mean, like, that's one of those things where, you know, it's really hard, you know, when you're going into a reshoot and you have to tell an actor, like, look, you know, um, your character's still the same except for all the <laughs> all the things, the you know, why your character is the way he is. Uh, but he, he understood the process and, you know, it's, it's for the greater good. And, uh, and ultimately I think his character comes off great. He was fantastic to work with both of these actors. This was one of the first few days on set and, um, it was really, uh, really cool to see them, uh, uh, you know, uh, being able to, you know, chop it up together. They were, they were both, they had just immediate, like fantastic chemistry. Uh, the the line um, yeah nobody can keep the reins on Kong uh, I remember that in the in the the first rehearsal we did of that um, you know Rebecca said that line and and I instantly was like oh that's a that that sounds really good yeah make sure you do that she's such a professional she could she could do anything she could make every, any line sound legitimate um, but you know a movie like this you got to have those kind of big ridiculous lines and. And they don't actually come off as ridiculous when you're watching the movie. They just, they're, they're what are they are? <laughs> this was another one I was very excited to have somebody say, it's Godzilla. Yeah, you know, that was one of those moments when you're shooting it and you're like, oh yeah, that's going to be the trailer for sure. <laughs> if you see really closely right there, if you look closely, um, Rebecca has her hand on uh, Kaylee's back when they're running in the room. And obviously Kaylee can't hear the cue because really we're just counting to three and saying shake or something like that. And um, so Rebecca's actually tapping Kaylee on the back so that she knows, you know, the timing. And uh, so if you look really closely, Kaylee's like um, just like a, a couple frames um, behind everybody else. So finally, here we are. The exposition is over. Um, you know, we we're at the monster fight. We don't have to set up anything else anymore. And from this point on. The movie is non-stop action, and thank God, because this is super sweet. This is why I made this movie. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to make shots of Godzilla tearing things up. I wanted Kong to be ferocious. You know, this is what it's all about, and um, it, you gotta get, you gotta do a lot of work around it to get here. But uh, these are these are the rewards. You know, every day you're going into VFX reviews. I love that scream. Uh, that's one of my favorite shots too. I love that, uh, that kind of Cthulhu looking, uh, uh, tail shot. 
Um, sorry, I'm gonna get like distracted watching this. Um, you know, like I remember during production, whenever we were getting, effect oh, if you look closely right there, you can see a couple guys uh, fly out the back of that boat. If you if you pause it, it's kind of Empire Strikes Backy kind of uh, kind of idea, like the asteroid belt scene where you can see a stormtrooper fly out of the uh, the Tie Fighter that gets blown up. Um, Obviously, you know, I like I, I'm not gonna like point out all the Easter eggs in the movie, but this is clearly a, a, a Jaws Easter egg. Um, you know, Jaws times ten. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, th this sequence was always 100% in the outline in the every draft of the script. This was something that never changed. Um, uh, by the way, we, the way we did that with Skarsgård is we just pulled them on the ground and those other guys were on cables and just moving the camera around. Um, but this was always going to be sort of the, the big, you know, Hoth set piece of the, of the film. This was going to be the one, uh, the one to beat. And, um, and we kind of knew it going into it because what I, what I like about it is that it's not just, okay, here's a setting for the monsters to fight. The setting becomes really what the fight's all about you know like you know Godzilla who already has an advantage just from being Godzilla um, you know has the water which you know Kong is not good at dealing with and you know just that that gives you so much interesting kind of you know fodder to play with uh, as a director um, you know you you know you, it's not just like what the choreography is it's it's how they're utilizing the environment and that's what makes Kong such a, a unique character when it comes to monsters is, uh, is that he is just like a big human, basically. Um, and so he can think like a human and we can kind of project on him a bit more. Uh, I love the scale of this shot here. Um, I just like Kong always looking kind of beat up and exhausted. I think that those are really, that's, that's what makes a cool hero. You'll notice that there's a little bit of a similarity. We try to do this as much as possible between what the humans are doing and the last thing we saw Kong doing, like both Kong and Skarsgård are both getting up in the same shot. You know, whenever Kong's underwater, he's screaming, Skarsgård's screaming. We tried to kind of always tie in the, the human world to the, to the monster world in subtle ways, um, just to, so that it didn't feel like you were just randomly going from uh, one to the next. I should also mention that we had like five days to shoot all that underwater stuff, so um, we have way more footage of that. Um, and. Uh, uh, that's why the few shots in there are pretty cool because we had way more than enough time to do it because everybody was so nervous about, oh God, we're going to do underwater stuff. You know, it's going to go so slow. And it was actually a breeze um, <laughs> for that reason because we uh, way overcompensated um, time wise. Um, Hiroda, written on the, the helmet there, that's uh, uh, Brian Hiroda, who's um, uh, the scan line um, uh, VFX supervisor. Uh, Scanline did this sequence. We, we broke up the VFX into a couple different companies, Scanline, Weta, and uh, MPC. And um, Scanline got this sequence, Mechagodzilla's intro, and um, the, the ending Mechagodzilla fight. And they just did a fantastic job. I mean, these shots are just so dynamic and cool. This was the very first shot that we actually did in the, uh, of any VFX shot. They, Scanline actually created sort of a mock-up of this. It was it was different, but um, the, the very similar to what that ended up being. Um, there's the bitch slap.
this is one of my favorite shots uh, of any of the VFX shots, actually, is Kong jumping off the boat, John McClane style here. Um, <laughs> you can see him down there at the bottom too, like in that wide shot. It's actually a continuation. If you if you look, you can see a little Kong continuing to jump. It's that kind of detail is just so impressive. Whenever you get into all these, uh, you know, the the nuances of the VFX shots, it's just really staggering. Just even even after all the VFX reviews and going frame by frame, you know, still sometimes when I watch the movie, I'll I'll notice one little little detail that I'd never uh, never seen before. Um, and you know, and the, the VFX supervisor of the film, uh, DJ, uh, he, he he's such a big, you know, just movie nerd and Godzilla fan, and uh, we, we just had so much fun, you know. Anytime we were doing shots like the John McClane shot, you know, just little reference shots, we were just always, you know, got so tickled, um, <laughs> and we're joking about it, you know. Uh, in, in those VFX reviews. You know, one of the shots I forgot to mention earlier that's one of my favorite in the sequence, and it was one of the first shots that I'd kind of designed in my head, um, was uh, the shot of uh, Godzilla and Kong underwater fighting and the, uh, the, the, the aircraft carrier, you know, plunging into the depths. And I just thought it would be cool to just leave the monsters for a second and just see this aircraft carrier going down. It was... You know, one of those things that, um, you know, it's just an idea that, uh, you know, it kind of flows really fast in the movie, but it, it felt really interesting at the time. But I love this part. This is one of my favorite VFX shots in the entire movie as well. I love seeing Kong puke uh, water. I kind of wish we did more. At one point we had like fish and stuff flopping around. Uh, but it was just a little too over the top. It's like this is a this is a dramatic moment, and uh, um, it's already kind of funny seeing him vomit, anyways. Um, but uh, you know, I wanted it to you know stay serious. You know, this is you know Kong might lose here, uh, supposedly. Not that you really think that's going to happen, but you know, and and Godzilla, he's he's you know my 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 interpretation. Maybe this is going to be controversial but I, I don't think Godzilla is ever afraid that for a second he's going to lose any of these fights I think that he's playing with Kong I think that you know it's life and death for Kong Kong's trying to you know stay afloat but um, trying to stay alive uh, but you know at the end of the day Godzilla's Godzilla I mean you can't kill Godzilla basically um, I think Mechagodzilla comes close I think maybe if he had blown that red beam down his throat we you know Mudo style that would have uh, done him up but uh, potentially who knows we don't know what Godzilla's insides are made of I mean it might be just as strong so who knows but you know come on I mean Godzilla's on the ocean I mean look at him he's like smiling here like right <laughs> he's having fun Kong is not having fun this scene, I should say, is my, uh, this was inspired heavily from my cat, Mischief, who, uh, she, you know, like the way that Godzilla's acting here, uh, this is how Mischief is every night, you know, standing, I have like this kind of like full glass window um, porch, and we have raccoons in the backyard, and Mischief hates those raccoons, and they just like, and the raccoons are evil, they would come right up to the glass and they like taunt her, um, they're kind of scary and creepy, um, and you know they always have these like staring matches back and forth, and uh, and and <laughs> it's kind of psychotic. I mean, like you can tell mischief just wants to murder those things, and even though I don't know that she would stand a chance. But 
um, that just image of the back of her head, you know, looking out was definitely inspired uh, in, in that moment there. I should say, I remember every time we shot this, whenever uh, he would say, uh, you know, how's Kong with heights after a pause, Rebecca would always, you know, kind of sarcastically be like, no, it's fine. He's fine with heights. <laughs> This was one of our only one-take shots. I'm pretty well-known for, I guess, shooting way too many takes. And um, this one, we have really ran out of time that day. And uh, and we just had one shot at it. And it's, it, you know, I, I, it's fine. <laughs> um, this sequence actually was originally um, supposed to, it was designed to be that we were going to put rubble in this uh, little alleyway here. And all the like the beams and stuff and like some of those things around them were going to be digitally um, uh, broken up and things. Um, and when we got here, the VFX department said, listen, we didn't budget for this. Um, I know that you guys are saying that those are going to be VFX, but we don't know how you're going to do that. And we were like, ah, okay, whatever. And, you know, it was one of those things where I thought, you know, we'll just figure it out down the line. I should also mention that Brian Tyree Henry is wearing a different outfit there uh, because that was originally used from the opening. Again, repurposed footage. So if you look closely, he's wearing his outfit from the opening of the film. But we needed a little extra piece of him breaking in just to make it more interesting. Um, but so what we ended up doing with that VFX stuff is uh, once we actually shot it and got it into the edit, nobody ever complained that it looked like that those things should be broken or that it looked weird that there was just random debris around uh, perfectly functional uh, equipment. And so we just left it in. And uh, again, cost savings <laughs> so that you can, see, you know, you want to put the money where the monsters are, you know, like sometimes it's like, do we want to spend money on rubble or do we get an extra shot of Kong? Hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, I, I, I just loved, you know, working with these actors that every day on set with them was so fun. Like at first it was Millie and Julian, you know, we shot a lot of them, the, their scenes alone. And, you know, when you're working with younger actors, um, I mean, who, by the way, you know, I say younger actors, but they're always just as good as the adult actors. I mean, skill is skill, talent is talent or whatever. Um, but, you know, when you're working with younger actors, you really want the, the production value that you're getting from them is that they can do something that older actors can't. They can be kids. They are still kids. And you want that kind of energy from them. And so I have this philosophy um, that if they're having fun, it's going to come out on screen. And so, you know, we always I, I would let them just, you know, they between takes are always like playing these weird like um I don't know how to describe it. Like they, they had this clapping game that they would do. It was like patty cakes type of thing. And, um, <laughs> you know, and they're always running around and, you know, like just having fun, you know, and joking and being silly. And, you know, I think some people might, you know, try to push away from that. But I, I really uh, think that, you know, even though it might lose you a little bit of time here and there, um, you know, you got to you got to keep the energy going and you got everybody's got to have fun if you want that performance to be fun and um uh, so i'm a strong believer in that but it's funny because once brian tyree henry got in the mix it felt like okay we got an adult with these kids you know it, it'll kind of focus the dynamic a little bit more you know we're, we're gonna not just be joking around and stuff but then brian became even more of a jokester i mean he, he he's even more of a kid than the kids and so it, it was like times three at this point um but it was one of those things where you just knew that uh, it, it was going to really work um, because we, we, we were always laughing on set. And
So this, I, I love this part of the movie because I love that we're in these parallel trips. It's one of those things that, you, you, you know, when we were shooting it, we just knew things were working, uh, or an editorial, we knew it was working because we have our future journey and we have our past journey. And there's so many parallels to, you know, the way that these kind of cut back and forth that um, it's, it's really super cool that it landed this way. And, you know, um, I, I love that we were able to get uh, sort of our King Kong versus Godzilla homage here. Um, uh, I should really quick say that um, uh, that I think Doherty, whenever he, because he, I, I showed Doherty like some of our artwork um, early on, and I think he was a little mad at me um, early on because I had a scene in Antarctica and he already did an Antarctica scene. I think he really believed that, uh, you know, these movies should really be going into new places every time. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, I just, I can't imagine the, the, the opening to Hollow Earth being anywhere than Antarctica. I mean, I really believe in the old, you know, um, uh, Admiral Byrd you know the myths that are really out there and um you know i think there's something to that so i just couldn't i couldn't put it anywhere other than antarctica This shot was really funny because my DP was sick. Uh, this was a different part of production where everybody got sick. We, we got hit with the worst, like swine flu, I think it was at the time. Um, and uh, so we actually lost a couple days of production. And we, we at one point, I think we were like down 25, 30% of our crew were hit with it. And so on this day, my um, the camera operator filled in as the DP and, um, and that shot of Kaylee walking up with the big crane and everything, um, that was uh, sort of an inside joke because my 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 DP he hates pointless uh, or superfluous crane shots, and and I was just like, oh man, he's not here, you know. Uh, I was a little like, what are we gonna do? And so almost. You know, slightly because I just wanted to do it anyways, uh, because I knew that the, at this point in the film we needed a, a nice kind of epic shot to bring you back to the characters. Um, but also, kind of as a joke, um, I wanted to shoot the biggest crane shot of the entire movie when my DP wasn't there. And, um, and of course, we, we, we filmed it off of iPhones and stuff um, behind the scenes and then sent it to him like, look what we're doing today. <laughs> but he wasn't there, so he didn't get a say. So we, we shot the big crane shot, and um, it's a good shot. So sorry, Ben. Um, <laughs> I mean, I will say Ben is such a great DP. He really grounded the movie. He, he really he, he's he's a guy who who's a strong believer of not doing anything with the camera unless it's motivated. And um, and you really need that in a movie like this to ground it, because, you know, when you when you're dealing with big monsters, you need something to anchor you. And the, the stylization of the film kind of has to be that.
real quick talking about uh, King Kong versus Godzilla again with the helicopters lifting him up. I remember when I first signed on to this movie, one of the first things I thought is like, well, I just hope we don't have like a, a silly scene where Kong is being lifted by balloons like in the original movie. And um, <laughs> that was literally one of my first thoughts I remember having of like, okay, that's one thing we're not going to repeat. Um, and uh, and and sure enough, we were. I was working with Terry early on, and uh, we were trying to come up with like, okay, well, after this fight, how are they going to get Kong over to, um, you know, Antarctica? Like, because Godzilla's in the way, um, even though the fight's over, Godzilla's still out there. And I remember just being like, well. I guess, what if they just get a whole lot of helicopters and lift them up? That would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? And it was like, yeah, that would be cool. And I was like, oh, great. Why did I say that? <laughs> but instantly, once you see the, the artwork of it, it was like, oh, this is sweet, you know? Um, uh, just all those helicopters and everything. Okay, so now we're in sci-fi territory. Love it. This is my first chance to do big sci-fi stuff. So I'm going all out already. You know, this is our big Return of the Jedi shot. You know, you remember with the Millennium Falcon. Obviously, the, 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 the heaves um, have a little bit of a, a Kira influence to them. I knew that, you know, I wanted these anti-gravity craft to have sort of this weird emission that, you know, felt like the tracers from the motorcycles in, in Akira. Oh, this idea right here, I, I got to uh, give credit again to Richard Bennett, the storyboard artist. Um, he, uh, when he was boarding this scene, he, he threw in the, the whole little thing dropping the Alka-Seltzer into, um, into the glass and uh, as a way to just sort of prepping the audience a little bit, you know, in a, in a, in a visual way of what we're about to go through. Um, and yeah, and that was his idea and it, it ended up just becoming in the movie. So, uh, so this, this is one of my proudest scenes. It, it's actually kind of a throwback to my very first movie, which I did for $3,000, called Pop Skull. <clears throat> and in Pop Skull, the uh, main character uh, takes an uh, overdose of Robitussin. <laughs> and he has a trip-out sequence. And, um, and we use lots of um, strobing lights to uh, you know affect the viewer in that same kind of way. So the effects that we were doing were made to design to... Um, <laughs> mess with you there um so it was really cool to be able to do that a lot of those um were were inspired by effects that i even did on that low budget film so now we're in hollow earth lots to talk about here um this went through a lot of changes originally this was a much more dark and moody place i remember thinking you know um, whenever I first read the outline, whenever I came onto the film, it was like, I think Terry had written just a couple pages of outline of, you know, a proposal of the movie really is what it was. And, um, and I remember immediately being like, oh my God, we're making a Journey to the Center of the Earth movie. You know, I don't know if I even like any Journey to the Center of the Earth movies that I've ever seen. So that was a little nerve wracking. Um, again, hadn't had too much experience with CGI. You know, is this going to look stupid? Um, you know, like what is the motivation of the lighting in the center of the earth and this and that. Um, but this really evolved over the course of the entire production to being more like this has to, you know, what we realize ultimately is that this has to feel like the, uh, 
you know, this has to be like the fantasy world for Kong. Like, you know, this is like his real home. This is where he's going to thrive. And uh, and it needs to feel inviting in that kind of way. Uh, but what's cool about Hollow Earth is that it's got lots of different terrains like many, many parts of the world. And so we weren't just restricted to doing this kind of jungle thing, which I think if we did, it would be a little, you know, too familiar. Um, uh, but uh, it's, it's nice that we were able to kind of jump around and do lots of different things. You know, this shot was something that, you know, was later on put into the uh, film as a way to try to describe the physics of it. You know, I wanted to do something that was really nice and trippy so that you could see that, you know, you can stand on the ceiling and all those kind of things. And actually, I had the idea for the way Hollow Earth would work in general one day when I was at my uh, production designer. Uh, we had two production designers on this film. One was Tom Hammock, uh, who has literally worked on every single movie of mine. And the other one was Owen Patterson, who worked on The Matrix, the original Godzilla 2014. Um, and they, uh, they were paired up on the film. And I was over at Tom's house, I remember, and, you know, just started talking to him about ideas of what can we do in Hollow Earth. And, you know, I realized, like, well, if you're in the center of the world, you know, the gravity is going to be different. Um, ups, you know, there's, we don't have to, you know, abide by different rules. And that's whenever I started feeling really comfortable with the idea that, okay, we are making a Journey to the Center of the Earth movie. Um, in addition to everything else, Godzilla versus Kong. Um, but the way we're going to make this really super cool is, oh, this is my Robotech uh, missiles. I love those. Um, is uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do things like you've never seen before with uh, the gravity and all that kind of stuff. This is one of my uh, favorite VFX shots too. It's so dynamic. Weta uh, Weta did uh, all this Hollow Earth stuff, and they're just really. I mean, obviously everybody knows Weta. Their their work is just incredible. And I and I think I can't remember. Um, but I believe that it was their idea to, you know, make this really gory and we kind of just leaned into it. I just I think they kind of created sort of a proposal, uh, you know, um, previs for this and uh, or post viz, I believe it was. And um, and whenever they 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 leaned into the gore, we just realized how hilarious and amazing it was just to see Kong just rip something to pieces. And uh, um, oh, I like these little guys. Um, I think uh, Tom Woodruff did these. Um, yeah, he, he, he designed uh, the looks of these. And originally I wanted them to kind of be inspired by the, um, the, the end of Demon Seed. There was like this robot, you know, thing that comes out of the ground. And that was sort of weirdly where this idea started. And they went totally, you know, evolved in a different direction. Um, but going back to Weta and the gory Nozuki death, um, I... Uh, I, I, th we could have made that look a lot more uh, disgusting and realistic. I think, but I, I like that it's very cartoony with the green blood and there's some guts in there, but they're, but they're not disturbing. And and the reason for that is, is like this is a movie for kids, like I said, and uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's obviously for adults as well. Um, uh, but when you're a kid, you know, you get disturbed by things. I remember how it was. I, I didn't watch any horror movies until. I was in, I don't know, uh, like real horror movies until I was in middle school. Um, I would watch things like Terminator and Aliens, but I don't consider that. Those are the gateway horror movies, the sci-fi ones. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I didn't want kids to be disturbed. I wanted them to be able to rewatch this film, and maybe they have to close their eyes, but it's not going to traumatize them. And so a lot of the violence in the movie, it's, it's, never, it's never too much uh, in terms of that.
this was something that I came up with in Hawaii. Uh, there was like, uh, I remember I was in the, um, the art room. We'd have these rooms set up with all of our concept art and they were super cool to look at. I mean, incredible just to be surrounded by all this insane stuff. And, uh, um, I was in there one day just trying to think about hollow earth. Like what are some cool ways that we can show off, you know, the physics and, you know, make a really like dramatic moment, you know, with Kong, you know, having his own little moments here. Um, you'll notice that we actually leave the human perspective entirely and it's just Kong, you know, as a character and basically the point when he wakes up in uh, uh, Antarctica, I think that the movie really goes through a shift when his eyes open in that shot because suddenly we're, we're, we're able to approach Kong even more as a character than ever before in the movie and he, he kind of takes the lead at that point. Um, takes it from Skarsgård, sorry. Scars hard, you know, it's like you can't compete with with King Kong, but um, the uh, um, the 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 thing about that shot was is that, uh, you know, where he's floating across to the to, to little the rock hand, um, you know, I just had this kind of visual of Kong floating between two mountains and I went downstairs during lunch and uh, DJ, the visual effects supervisor, was down there. He always has his dog in a backpack, which is hilarious. And um, he was kind of walking around with his dog and uh, I went up to DJ and I kind of pitched him this idea and he said, you know, I love it. And, um, and DJ is really smart. He's done this a lot of times. He's working with Zack Snyder and all those movies. And so he knows that sometimes when you have these ideas that aren't in the script and might be hard to pitch, uh, you know, you got to just do them and show and, and get everybody used to them so they don't go away. And that's exactly what we did. They, they rushed it into previs and um, we were good to go. Um, so this scene, I should give credit to my friend Robert Wiley, um, who actually has some interesting connections to Demon Seed as well, uh, speaking of. Um, but Robert is uh, kind of a metaphysical expert, um, you know, a very mysterious magician fellow. Um, but uh, he, I brought him in specifically for this sequence because uh, I, I wanted a different vibe. I wanted something that had sort of a you know, the ultimate depiction of what an harmonic death chamber would look like. And, um, and it's funny cause like, I remember Owen Patterson, the production designer, he was originally sketching out this sort of dome type thing. Cause I, I, I described to him, I wanted this to be almost like a satanic, um, you know, occult ceremony <laughs> of Mechagodzilla coming out. And, um, and what he drew was really cool, but it was like kind of what you would expect in, in a movie like this. And so I brought in uh, Robert and he, he sketched out this thing, which was these designs, which completely make no sense. Where It's like these jagged edges and you can't really tell what the curvature of this thing is. And he drew this thing to me and it took me an hour just to wrap my head around what he was drawing. Um, and then it took even longer for me to pitch it to Owen because I'm like, because when you're trying to create this thing in a physical space, which you have to do, um, even in a 3D environment, I mean, because it, it, it's the same as creating a physical space, you have to create the architecture for it, and it has to work. Um, and uh, so, but he was excited by that, and he, he took it, and, um, and, and we beat it out, and, uh, and it's one of my favorite sets, too. And um, speaking of this, this whole sequence, you know, oh, I love the red skull crawler. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's funny how the skull crawlers are such like, they're like the movie's bitch now. You know, it's like back in 
the 70s they were they were the big threat but now it's just like and eh, we're gonna blow your face off <laughs> originally they were in the opening too and they just got blown up you know poor skull crawler um but uh i should give credit to legacy effects they're the they're the ones who um who, who, who made the ultimate design of Mechagodzilla, and they came up with this design really early on. We had, I mean, uh, probably almost 100 different designs from different companies, including Legacy, who created a ton of different designs, different artists there. And this one was by far, like, instantly when we saw it, it was kind of like, well, you know, we gotta beat that. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and you, you just couldn't beat it. it. Originally, I think the only real difference was is that the, the exterior was less of this sort of shiny uh, gun metal. Um, it used to be more of a, uh, a tank type, um, type metal. Um, it wasn't as shiny. And it looked really fantastic. And I would have loved to have seen that, but, uh, you know, brought to life in terms of a 3D um, asset. But uh, what we ended up with, I think, is just such a gorgeous character. I love this whole sequence. It's basically Mechagodzilla porn. Um, it just the movie stops and just enjoys nothing really happens in the scene other than Mechagodzilla blows up a skull crawler but it takes like you know four minutes to <laughs> to do that because <laughs> the movie's just worshiping them and you know I remember the first test screening we had it was just people didn't know that Mechagodzilla was going to be in the film I'm sure they suspected but when he shows up and it was still pretty rudimentary VFX People were so excited. Oh, I should mention that shot right there. Again, cough-saving measures. That was actually done in editorial. Um, somebody shot it with their actual phone. That's a phone shot uh, in the movie. Um, and uh, we just ended up never changing it because nobody ever noticed. Uh, but if you look at it closely, you can tell the frame rate's a little strange on it. Um, so here we are. We're we're back in Hollow Earth, and uh, you know this this was one of the most challenging sections uh, script-wise to get right. I mean, you know these Hollywood movies they have 50 writers on them, and you know you hear about that, and you go, well, why do they have 50 writers? There's Vasquez Rock back there. Um, why do they have all these writers? What could they, could they possibly be doing? And I can tell you from experience, what they're doing is they are beating their head against the wall trying to figure out very specific elements of the movie. And it takes a long time for that to work. And, and, and eventually somebody just gets lucky when it, um, it lands in the right place. Um, obviously, a little bit of a 2001 homage, you know, with uh, the Kong and the... Um, the, you know, the, the monolith here, uh, the monolith uh, st uh, entrance to this building. Um, yeah, I, I love this set. This was one that, like, you know, we, we kind of figured out early on. It, it, you know, it went through a lot of different variations in terms of just being even more just kind of cave-like. But I, I like that we landed in a place that definitely you see the architecture of it and... Uh, um, this is obviously, uh, if, if you're familiar with the Gertianum, this is built around this, and um, you know I'm, you know I'm I'm really big into Rudolf Steiner, so this that's one of the biggest influences on this movie in general. I mean, this movie is really um, maybe one of the first, um, you know, major Hollywood films with a Rudolf Steiner kind of um, background to it. <laughs> um, Shots like this are really funny. Like I always think about DJ, um, the VFX supervisor. He would always say any shot is always improved with a, with a spaceship in it. And, um, and he's totally right. Anytime you see a shot with Kong and there's just a spaceship, uh, or in this case, you know, same thing, the heave in the background, it always is cooler. <laughs> so when in doubt, 
when you got the money to do it, throw a spaceship in and you are good. Um, so this axe thing, I'm really proud of this because this was actually an idea that I came up with, um, you know, uh, and it ended up becoming, you know, the whole drive of the film. Originally, during the R&D phase, you know, I was just trying to come up with cool ideas like what can Kong find in Hollow Earth that might give him an advantage against Godzilla. And, you know, I sort of thought, well, what if you, you know, in the script, it, it originally he found a scepter down here and he kind of just had it in this scene and he kind of left it, at, you know, before he went back up to Hong Kong. And I just love the idea of Kong finding this big scepter. Uh, but then I started thinking, well, is this an opportunity, you know, to give him something else? And so the scepter became this axe. And I thought, oh, you know, this is where Godzillas are from. You know, there's other creatures like Godzilla down here. And there's this big war and all this stuff. And so that's when I started thinking, well, if he had like a, an axe made with a Godzilla spike, A, that's cool. But it would be really great if this thing could absorb Godzilla's energy. That's the whole reason that these Kongs made them in the first place. And they did have an advantage because of that. And so originally that was just sort of a cool aesthetic idea that um, as time developed um, it became kind of the main plot point of the movie. And, you know, and even when you look at the advertising, it's really funny because the, the axe became, there's the Oshima, um, the, um, the main drive for the film. And uh, this was always a big point for me, this shot here. I remember this was one of the first shots I had Matt Alsop, um, who's one of our visual designers, uh, who's worked on all these films. He does Star, movie, Star Wars movies all the time, and he, he works with Gareth on Rogue One and all that. But um, he, uh, I, I, I instantly was just like, man, you gotta, you gotta do Kong on the throne. I was like, that's gonna be like the, the, one, of the one of the big uh, concept art shots uh, for the film. And so it was one of the first few that he did, and it was just you know striking you know in every iteration of it um uh so i love sci-fi hallways by the way this 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 skull here is actually 100 percent real that's a full set you could walk in it you could go under it you know like the set underneath it we actually originally had some scenes where they snuck in underneath the the mouth that was completely built in the lighting is live on set really incredible when you walk out there and this actually came from uh, one of our uh, meetings with Terry, um, my my original assistant Gary, he actually came up with this uh, this skull idea. We were beating our heads trying to figure out originally like how the humans would communicate with the other humans in Hollow Earth from uh, Hong Kong, and uh, and Gary kind of was like, well, you know, like what what about? Um, he's like, you know, that uh, Ghidorah's head uh, has like kind of psychic. Um, psychic you know uh, abilities or whatever his the you know and so we thought oh wait a minute yeah we could take like they could we could have it where the humans sort of reverse engineer uh, Ghidorah's skull and use it as a psychic resonant chamber using psionics and stuff and again Robert Wiley he he came in and helped me with the the, the concepts of psionics and all that kind of stuff um, but uh, yeah, so that that kind of came from there, and then it, and then again, just like all these ideas, they start out like something really small, and then they become a bigger plot point, and then you know that became like, well, what if we actually turned um, the skull into uh, the actual piloting, uh, you know, uh, chamber for Mechagodzilla himself? Because what cooler place are you going to come up with to pilot Mechagodzilla than uh, a Titan skull, um, especially Ghidorah's skull? Uh, so this is funny, Lance Reddick, who uh, 
people who've seen my films, you know, will recognize obviously from the guest and. Um, uh, this was a nice little reunion. Originally he had a much bigger role, which is why it's kind of weird that Lance Reddick just shows up for that scene and I think one other shot in the movie. Um, but, uh, you know, glad to have him uh, no matter what. He used to have a really cool scene because Lance is supposed to be the, the head of Monarch and um, and uh, his name is actually Gillerman, which is uh, a reference to uh, the director of uh, King Kong 76. But... Um, which I actually like. I really like that movie. That's one of my favorite King Kong movies, um, even though some people don't love that one. Um, but uh, yeah, Lance used to have this really cool boardroom scene early on in the movie, a really stylized looking boardroom scene where they were debating going into Hollow Earth and all this stuff. And he was super cool. He had a cool outfit on too. Uh, can't go along with Lance Reddick. I mean, you know, give him, a, give him any line and he's going to make it sound really cool. <laughs> um, so again, here we are. I mean, like the, you know, if you look at this ground, I ha it's funny, like the trailer's out right now and there's one of these shots overhead of uh, of, of, of this mural, uh, one of the Yoshuma later on swooping down and nobody's really noticed yet so far in the trailers that those spikes are all made of different weapons from Godzilla. If you look really closely, they're all like really crazy different battle axes and lots of really great detail. Again, this was uh, something uh, always in the script, and this was one of our original concept arts of Godzilla blowing a hole in the ground that just always looked cool. Um, that's an entirely CGI shot. Those guys are CGI. We actually shot it with actors, but for whatever reason, they ended up just throwing in CGI guys. I guess it was easier. Um, uh, to ultimately blend it or whatever. Uh, this was a, this was the only part of this film at this point that was like kind of a, a big reshoot. Like just like when they get out of the ships and they have their little conversation here. I mean, they're talking about, you know, you know, the radioactive energy source, blah, blah, blah. None of this makes any sense. It doesn't matter. Um, we just need an excuse for them to do something and they had to go somewhere. Funny enough, I was watching uh, Disney's Atlantis uh, recently, I hadn't seen it since it came out, and I was kind of, I was shocked that there's certain parallels to that film in this one. Like the discredited professor, you know, is sort of like the Skarsgård character in that movie. They're looking for a power source in the middle of the Earth, you know. Like Atlantis is very similar to, I think, what the Hollow Earth is, and all those kind of things. So um, it's pretty funny that uh, you know those kind of things added up. This is the shot from the trailer that. If you look closely, yeah, there's all these different weapons there. I guess I can see why people didn't notice that. <laughs> um, so yeah, now we're back on track. We're out of the uh, the some more of the reshoot footage. Mr. Serizawa, start your engines. The upgrade is fantastic. Once we get online, 
Gojira will come straight for us. He's been coming for us. We bent over backwards originally trying to come up with these like logical excuses for the humans to go on this mission to Hollow Earth. And, you know, I don't understand it. I don't really know what Kong's doing or how, why he's actually going there, what anything that's going on. But um, all I know is that um, it doesn't matter. And uh, we're here and that's where we need to be. <laughs> and, uh, and I think the audience is going to feel the same because ultimately they just want to see monsters um, battle each other and uh, see some really cool stuff they've never seen before and that's what we're offering um, <laughs> um, yeah this this scene actually used to be a lot uh, longer like it was pretty funny like Skarsgård did this whole like thing where he originally was trying to get the Yoshuma's attention here and he was calling it Big Bird or something and uh, um, and this was a bit longer of a suspense piece, but eventually, you know, just like everything else, you whittle it down and uh, just get the, the core of what works. Uh, these guys actually were originally designed to be uh, full-scale monsters, uh, and, and the design of them was much more like an owl. Um, they still looked very similar to the way they look now, but their, the impression that they gave you was like a wise old monster, whereas we, when we shrunk them down, we kind of turned them into little chickadees and... <laughs> and, and and I think that's fun in, in and of itself too. Uh, oh, I love this. I love this music right here. That yeah, it's so cool. The kind of organ version of the Godzilla theme. Um, boom. Sorry, I'm getting sucked in. You know, sometimes it, you know that's the problem. Is like I I wanted to make notes for the film before I came in here. Um, but every time I ended up watching the movie, I would just stop taking notes and I would just start watching the film. And, you know, cause it's, even though I've seen it a gazillion times, uh, to a certain degree, the VFX come in so late, you know, you finish all that stuff so late, it's still so fresh. So I get so excited when I get to see all these effects done with all the sound effects and, um, you know, uh, I get to really enjoy the movie just, I guess, uh, like anybody else, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, here we are going towards, rocketing towards what everybody is ready for. And, you know, this is what it's all about, you know, like it's Godzilla versus Kong. Um, I love the fact that, you know, I'm sure that people watching this film are going to be thinking, well, okay, we're in Hollow Earth. How are we going to get uh, Kong together with Godzilla for this ending? Um, and uh, we just had Godzilla blow a hole in the ground. And um, it turns out that... Uh, you know, that whole thing about, you know, if you, you know, drill a hole, you know, straight through the earth that you'll come out on the other end in China, you know, however that's supposed to work. Um, it apparently is real. And that's what we went with. <laughs> um, funny enough, that shot right there was one that I felt like we redid like 500 times, you know, even though it doesn't look like it. But just to, to make it logical in terms of like the one, two, three, you know, those are the things that you never would ever think that um, is an issue. But you, you end up redoing things like that a gazillion times to get it right, just so that it, you know, you don't have to think about it when you're actually watching the film. Um, Brian Tyree Henry is so funny in this sequence. Um, you know, that, that's that's what's funny about, you know, when you're doing these commentaries is every scene has so many stories in it. Every shot has stories in it that I could tell. Because, um, you know, movies take a lot of, you know, time and effort. And you go through so many variations to get where you're going. And um, it's such a journey. But, uh, you know, I, I just have to keep going because... Right now, we are finally at the big event. 
Yes, they are going to fight. <laughs> oh man! You know, I remember whenever the we uh, we had our first test screening. I had Robert Kirkman, uh, who created The Walking Dead, come, and he was sitting beside me. I remember right before the movie started, he said, "All right, how long we have to wait to see the monsters?" And then you know the first shots of Kong, and he just started laughing. I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> um, so. This was the, uh, the very first uh, idea I had for the movie. We were talking about Godzilla versus Kong as, a, as something that they were going to be doing. I remember immediately I was like, I just want to see Godzilla and King Kong fighting in a synthwave neon city. Um, and that is 100% like my main drive is that that's something I want to see. And boy, you know, the VFX department, they just really went all out in making this so cool, the Supertron looking city. And you know, and we don't really cheat too much, you know, about where they are in the city. I mean, it, there is a logical path that they're actually going through, you know, in terms of actual Hong Kong. I love that shot right there. And here's the big homage to King Kong versus Godzilla. You got to get the tree scene in there. You know, I would have liked to make it a little bit more ridiculous, but you know, uh, I, I think that uh, it, it's it's just right. You know, you don't want to go too far because uh, at the end of the day, we we want to really take this fight seriously and uh, get into it. Um, originally, there was a whole little section here that we ended up cutting where Godzilla tried to drown Kong. He stepped on Kong in the water and. Kong originally grabbed the axe underwater and, and, and was using it to get Godzilla off of him. But we cut it because uh, we just felt like, you know, this is something that we've kind of already seen before in this film, Kong uh, almost drowning. And so it felt repeated, so we cut it out. Um, love that shot, one of my favorite shots in the sequence, him coming down that, uh, that, uh, that, that alley. And I love, you You know, I got Junkie to throw in some of the electronic stuff. Oh, I love Godzilla laughing right there. Godzilla's having fun. I mean, like, he's not really worried about losing. He's really not. I mean, I know it, it, maybe it seems like he is at certain parts. He, you know, he, he's got something to do. He's, he's here to go get Mechagodzilla and take him out. Oh, by the way, this was uh, inspired by the Back to the Future ride uh, Universal back in the day. Um, I showed DJ. You can find those old videos online of the ride. And so I told him I wanted it to feel like this. And, you know, this should feel like our, our version of that. But, um, uh, you know, Godzilla's not worried about Kong. He's just having fun. You know, like he's he, he's here to get Mechagodzilla. He knows that Mechagodzilla is the threat. He maybe doesn't know what Mechagodzilla is, but he knows that there's something here that he's got to kill. Um, and you know, he has no problem killing Kong. But at the end of the day, you know, it's uh, th this is this is not his fight. He's like, okay, this guy thinks he's all that, and um, I'll, I'll I'll show him up. I will admit, he's probably pretty surprised uh, for this to happen here, as he looks right. Here, yeah, he looks pretty surprised. <laughs> I love the breath. I like. I love how the the breath is backlit there. Uh, this was one of the last addition um, that we made in the film uh, for uh, VFX shots, because uh, um, we wanted to get just one quick little glimpse of Kong, and we really didn't have time. So they they had to get kind of crafty in terms of, you know, what they did there. But they made it really colorful and cool and ends up being a really memorable looking moment. Uh, so this is one of the last of our little reshoot scenes. Uh, there was always a scene in here, but it was a little bit different. 
Um, and uh, we kind of changed this around and, um, you know, it's a bit more straightforward. But the big difference now is that uh, originally Mechagodzilla wasn't going to become sentient. Um, originally, he was going to be piloted the whole time. Um, but we sort of realized after the fact that uh, that wasn't totally super interesting. And it was more, it was going to be more compelling if Mechagodzilla himself ended up being a character. And so him becoming um, self aware, which, I mean, you know, if we're going to do a movie about the dangers of, uh, you know, technology and AI, you got you to gotta get into the, uh, the self aware AI thing and where that's going to lead, right? So, but uh, I just like mainly the idea that Mechagodzilla gets to actually be another character in the film and he gets to have a real personality. Um, and, uh, and this is, this is, uh, after this is when we get to, you know, uh, get to really get into that. And so here we are, the last bit of fighting between Godzilla and King Kong, you know, it's like, it, it goes by so fast. You want more, you know, <laughs> um, you, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you, you get you get some solid fighting here, and I'm I'm so happy with it. Like I, I think it could have used maybe just another little section. You know, I mean nobody would have argued with that, but um, uh, I think every bit counts, and uh, so there's not a wasted moment in it. Oh, I love that hit right there. Um, yeah, like so you know, Godzilla kind of gets the upper hand pretty quickly, and again, this kind of goes back to my whole thing, which is Godzilla knows he's going to win. He's like, okay. I'm getting done. You know, the difference is now is Godzilla's really pissed off. He got hit in the face with that axe, and he's like, I'm over this. That's why Godzilla fights a little dirtier than we're used to seeing. He gets on the ground. You know, he's, he's not just taking it easy more. He's like, I'm going to kill this guy. He's really annoying me. And he's really, he, he's trying to take him out, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love these, you know, these shots of him crawling around. It's something a little bit different, you know, that we're not used to getting to see. Um, again, this was me, like, I, you know, like, should this have been gorier? Probably, but, you know, I didn't want it to be too disturbing. Um, I like that Kong gets one last hit in there, and then Godzilla's like, nope. <laughs> so this is really, like, you know, when you're making a Godzilla and King Kong, you know, film, like, this is what it's all about. You know, the shot of Godzilla and Kong facing off. And you know what? Like, you would think that the, the, one of the main issues that we would have in the script would be who's going to win you know you'd think that would be one of our main things but that was never um there's a little bit of blood on kong's uh, mouth there on the other side that's as gory as he gets really um god i love this sorry it's so hard to talk about everything here when all this is going on in front of you um <laughs> but uh I get teary-eyed sometimes when I watch that part too, I, especially the first couple times I watched it uh, with the sound and everything. Um, but uh, the, the the question of who's going to win, oh god, this part is so cool right here. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, and I love the score, it's so dramatic. You know, this. I hope that somebody makes a like you lose or, you know, a fatality or, you know, like a video game thing because that's what this always makes you think of right there. Like, uh, you lose. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the thing is, is um, it was never a question really of who's going to win or lose. Like, I came into this thing, you know, knowing that Godzilla had to win. I mean, I remember when I was on the playground, I guess I was in, it was somewhere between first and second grade. And I remember, um, uh, some of my friends coming to school and they were talking about who would win in a fight, Godzilla or King Kong. And at the time, nobody really 
totally bought that original film for whatever reason. Nobody felt like it was canon. Maybe it's because King Kong looks so different because he, he wasn't stop motion and all that stuff. So it kind of felt like a different character, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier in the film about keeping Godzilla the same so that it felt like we were getting a definitive match. But I remember one of my best friends saying that King Kong would win. I was so offended by that. It was like, how is King Kong going to beat Godzilla? I mean, Godzilla is unstoppable. He's Godzilla. Um, and so the second I got hired on this film, I was like, I'm going to I'm going to win that argument from second grade right now. You know, this is going to put that to bed once and for all. <laughs> um, and, but but I also knew that, like, this was a film where, you know, Kong is going to be the main character of the movie, really. I mean, and I, I, I love Kong. He You know, he's I mean, in, in many ways, you know, I, I, I prefer Kong in this film over Godzilla. You know, I, I think he's such a cool character. But um, but I knew that, you know, he needed to have his own victory. But it was pretty clear to me that uh, this is a big trouble in Little China reference with the electricity. Um, the uh, we actually had the VFX department watch that for for that. Um, the uh, but I, I knew that Kong's victory is going to be the Rocky victory. You know, you don't actually have to win to be a winner. It's about not giving up. And, and Godzilla respects that in that moment. That's what's going on there is. Godzilla could kill him. I mean, we've already set up early on that if Godzilla thinks he wins, you know, he doesn't have to kill you. You know, he can kind of, you know, walk away, you know, just like he does with the boats. But I, I, I think there's a, a genuine moment of respect with Godzilla and, and King Kong in there uh, where Godzilla sees that Kong's not going to give up. He knows that he's won. And, and, and I love that. I love that kind of, di you know, um, nonverbal dialogue that the, the monsters get to have. And now we have Mechagodzilla, who is the biggest jerk ever. I mean, he just comes out of this mountain and starts murdering everybody. I mean, like, this is a bad guy, and he's got to get taken out. I love his little laugh here. <laughs> that was something I asked uh, Jay Jennings, uh, one of the E-Square sound guys, to do. By the way, E-Square, just unbelievable. This sequence is awesome. They were always really big proponents of, you know, getting gaps in the sound design. They, they did the other Godzilla movies, and really brilliant guys. Um, you know, they were always like, we got to find places where we take the music out and it's just the sound effects and we, we create these different rhythms because you don't want to just beat people over the heads with just all this crazy stuff because um, there's going to be a lot of loud noises. And at a certain point, you get kind of desensitized to it. And so you have to kind of find these like palette refreshers of, uh, of audio. And, and fortunately, also the kind of motif we're doing here with Gia coming up um, uh, you know, being able to, you know, go into her head and sucking out the sound, making it much more impressionistic, uh, gives us the ability to, uh, again, like I said, um, you know, refresh the palette, the, the sound palette. Boom. Yeah, so th this scene used to be much more of a Godzilla and um, Mechagodzilla, you know, battling it out, and there was a lot more give and take, and ultimately, it just didn't work. It was like, it, it, at the end of the day, the the only thing that you you that really made sense to show in this part was Godzilla just getting his ass handed to him. I mean, Mechagodzilla is designed to take on Godzilla, and Godzilla, by the way, I think would probably do a lot better in this fight if he hadn't have just gone a couple rounds with Kong. I mean, Godzilla's pretty tired. I mean, he hasn't had a chance to really slow down uh, this entire movie. I mean, presumably he's been swimming around and, you know, going nuts in the ocean when he's not on screen. And so 
um, when Mechagodzilla comes out, they just, uh, <laughs> you know, he doesn't have a lot of reserves left in him, you know. Um, and so it, it's, it's a bit unfair. Um, I, I like this set in, in, in general. It's, you know, it, it's really, this is a Godzilla set, you know, with lots of destruction. This is one of those things where, um, you know, you, you get to do in a Godzilla movie. You look forward to doing, you know, this type of thing. And, um, and this was the biggest soundstage at Gold Coast, and we filled it up three different times. Uh, this was also, like, the same soundstage we used for Hollow Earth whenever the characters are on foot there. Um, we used, we did two different streets. We did this street and then the one at the end. Um, we just reused this and redressed it uh, with trees and all kinds of different debris and stuff. Uh, covered up different buildings in really resourceful ways and um, were able to do that. And then also the Mechagodzilla chamber when the kids go in there. Again, same big soundstage and just, you know, it, it's really staggering sometimes when you're making a movie like this where you're doing, you're just building all these incredible sets and they're just gorgeous. Um, they, they could be in museums, really. And um, you're done with them, and uh, you know they, they they take a hacksaw to it and cut it to pieces and throw it away, and uh, <laughs> and that's that. And uh, you know, so all this money, all these resources, ultimately, you know, it's it's to go into this sort of you know uh, this thing that only exists on screens, which is really unbelievable. Um, I love this sequence. This to me is like a moment for. You know, almost to, to, to me, it's beyond just what's going on in the movie. It's a moment where the film is kind of recognizing uh, the, the, the kid audiences out there and saying, like, okay, I know this is a little scary. You know, Godzilla's getting beat up. You know, Kong's hurt. But it's almost like trying to recognize, um, you know, that uh, it's going to be okay. We're still having fun. And we're back on it, okay? <laughs> Um, I remember when we were uh, doing this uh, battle sequence, the entire time I, I kept, I don't know why I was so resistant to this, I was like, I just felt like its it would be too cliche to have them shoot their beams at each other. And, um, oh, by the way, when we did this shot right there, the VFX guys, when they showed it to me originally during one of our reviews, they put like some sound effects of opera over that, and it actually sounds like Godzilla's like, oh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. But, um... The, uh, yeah, I was really resistant to that. And, um, and so that was one of the last little sequence in this. And then eventually, like, we just ran out of ideas. We just couldn't think of any other cool things for Mechagodzilla to do because we were constantly trying to think of, like, what are some really interesting, you know, attacks he can do. And ultimately, it was like, okay, well, maybe we should just try them shooting beams at each other, just see what it looks like. And then, of course, they put it together and it's awesome. And um, so that that's what's in the movie. <laughs>
this is what Arkong is. He's he's lethal weapon to, you know, popping his arm back in his shoulder. <laughs> he's fun, you know. That's what this is, you know. And boy, I mean, you know, post COVID, that's you know, we had no idea that this was coming, but that's what I think audiences want. They just want to have fun and. Boy, would it have been a downer if Kong had died in this film. Uh, you know, I'm all for stakes and everything, but, you know, this is this is a movie that's supposed to be fun. And it's a movie that, you know, I want you to watch over and over again because um, that's how I experience movies. You know, when I like them, I watch them over and over and over and over, um, including this one, apparently, because uh, I've done that quite a bit. So, yeah, so I th- you know, I think that maybe he could have taken Godzilla out here. I don't know. I mean, it seems at least plausible in an interesting way. Nice little throwback. Uh, you know, originally this was just going to be the way that he took out Mechagodzilla is that he was going to do this and he was actually going to clamp Mechagodzilla's mouth together and is going to internalize the beam and that's going to be how Kong was going to destroy him. Um, but we were like, they got to team up. You know, you got to get the tag team. I love this. I love that they just humiliate Mechagodzilla here. Look at him. Like... He looks embarrassed. Like he's a little flustered here, but now he gets it, you know, he gets it back together. Boom! And then Kong goes down. <laughs> and then wham! <laughs> Boom, man. I, you know, you gotta feel sorry for Godzilla. I'm sorry for all the Godzilla fans. Listen, I'm I came in this as like really team Godzilla, as you know, but you know, ultimately, Godzilla really gets beat up a lot in those old movies. It's really funny if you look at Godzilla sliding off that building in that last shot. It's actually kind of humorous, the way he kind of faints. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he gets beat up a lot, you know. I mean, that's Godzilla's thing is, like, you know, if he can't win the fight, he's like, you know what, I'll just, like, tire you out from, like, beating me in the head, and then I will murder you mercilessly, and I won't have a scratch on me at the end of this. Um, and, you know, so... I think other than that one moment, I think he pretty much had it under control. Um, This was actually inspired by some movie I saw in the early 90s. I can't even remember the name of it. Um, I remember like a commercial that used to really scare me. It was like a guy had like a big fan and he's like about to attack somebody. Um, It was a scary looking horror movie. I I literally don't even know what the movie is, but it always stuck with me as a kid. Uh, Like somebody like trying to like cut somebody's face up with a, you know, uh, like a fan saw thing yes this is the moment right here the alley-oop moment get it oh yeah you know like um this was actually kind of inspired by that nozuki scene because when we were trying to think of like okay how are we going to make this really dynamic you know i started thinking about that movie uh sanjuro where you know there's like a samurai fight at the end of the film and uh you know this guy gets smashed or like slashed and shoots blood out everywhere and so i thought oh this is an opportunity because it's mecha godzilla we'll just put like black oil like it's blood and we can make this like a gory samurai death scene mixed with mortal Kombat sub-zero you know this should also be another like you lose moment <laughs> yeah but like uh, yeah I, I i it was such a great opportunity to just like have a gory moment that's not actually gory so it's not disturbing um you know and also just Mechagodzilla really, really had it coming. I mean, he has so many cheap moves in that fight. I remember DJ always saying, man, Mechagodzilla is just a dick. <laughs> and that's sort of the vibe that, uh, that, that, we, always, uh, that we always went with. <laughs> 
I love I love uh, Kaylee helping him up. Like you know, it's like she's not really helping that much way down there, but it's pretty adorable. Um, so this was the redress set that we did. Um, obviously, there's big green screen back there, but uh, that's what that city is. But uh, you know, all the little trees and stuff. They this was the same set that we shot the other part on. And we just lit it differently. Um, but the trees make it feel different, and you know, all the extras running around, of course. I love I love these like kind of like you know tie up scenes at the end of films where you know everybody kind of meets up and uh, you know we we sort of have our kind of cathartic like okay the police are here and the fire department and uh, all good movies kind of end this way all good action movies um, in my opinion <laughs> it's like the Ghostbusters ending really you know um, that's what this. Uh, Sort of reminds me of. I love their costumes. I forgot to mention, Ann Foley did a great job on all the costumes in this movie. Um, the Hollow Earth suits are just so cool. Originally, I wanted them to be silver. Um, I was thinking of like Predator 2, the the costume that Gary Busey wears when they're trying to take out the Predator. And uh, um, I think Ann hated the idea of doing silver um, costumes, and she pushed me towards the gold, uh, which I reluctantly did, but um, she was right. Uh, it actually works really well, and also I think the silver would have been kind of uh, against the color palette that we were going for. So. You know, you gotta listen to those costume designers because they definitely have the good ones have really strong opinions and um, <laughs> and they're usually pretty right about them. Uh, you know, if if they're really good, uh, which she is. This is a nice epic shot in the trailer. You know, giving away the ending. Can you believe that? I love the nuance on the bone, the the red interior bone. I've seen some people kind of um, talk about you know the Mudo's bones and those kind of things, um, but I. I I think that that's like a Godzilla type bone. I think that's what Godzilla bones looks like to me. That's sort of the thought. Um, I don't know if it's Godzilla's dad or mom or just something that was like Godzilla. You see that Kong has like a tic-tac-toe game on his chest now. I wonder if that's going to carry through to if there's ever any sequels. Um, so I this song, actually, I'd never heard this song before until I was uh, in the office one day. I had it on my um, Spotify on uh, Elvis... Elvis Presley channel and I left the room and uh, you know it starts bringing up other artists and um, and I came in and this song was playing and I was like good lord what is this song this is awesome and you know kind of designed this ending around it Doing this movie was really a culmination of, you know, a life's work for me. Um, you know, I got into films wanting to do, you know, big, big sci-fi epics. Um, the Star Wars films, Terminator films, Alien films, uh, the Predator movies, Back to the Future, all those things, Indiana Jones. Those were all the movies that really inspired me growing up and that's what made me want to get into film and, you know, as a, as a as somebody who kind of just started out in Alabama with no real, you know, ties to the film industry, um, I it, it's interesting because you can't just start here. You can't just say, "Well, I'm ready to do Godzilla versus Kong. Who wants to hire me?" You know, you gotta you gotta prove prove that you can do it. And um, 
So I, I started on very small productions and, and, and slowly worked my way up. I was really into Robert Rodriguez. His book, Rebel Without a Crew, was like my Bible in high school, I remember. Um, I ended up actually dropping out um, of high school my, uh, my last year to go to film school. I went to a 13-month film school course called Full Sail in Florida. And, and I did that just because I wanted to get that out of the way. But, you know, as soon as I got out of film school, I, I, I made, you know, a, a really bad slasher movie, which no one's ever seen. Um, well, you know, no movie is really bad. It's really fun. It's gory. It's super gory. Bill Mosley's in it. Some good performances. Tom Tolles. <laughs> I don't know why I'm plugging Homesick right now. Um, but, uh, you know, I did that movie. And then uh, I... I I realized that I didn't really know how to make movies really that well. I just had jumped in. And so I made this other film called Pop Skull, which I mentioned for $3,000 with uh, just some friends of mine. And and from there, you know, um, sorry if you're bored of me giving you my whole backstory about how I get, came to doing this film, but you're going to hear it because there's a lot of credits. There's a lot of VFX artists. Um, there's like seven, eight, ten, twenty minutes. I don't know how many credits there are. But um, so... <laughs> um, so basically, like I did this little $3,000 movie and that's what really got me, you know, noticed, you know, got me a manager who I'm still with today and an agent and all that stuff. And um, and so from there, I really, you know, back, that was back 2005 and I finished that movie in 2007, took two years to make it for no money. And then I just started progressively meeting people and working my way up over the years and... Um, and to the point where I was finally able to get bigger and bigger budgets. And, uh, you know, I, my first, you know, big budget movie was $70,000. It's called A Horrible Way to Die. Uh, Simon Barrett wrote it for me. And I remember having a conversation with um, my DP on that film. It was a friend of mine from Alabama. I remember he showed up to shoot that movie. And I remember talking to him like, can you believe that we have tricked these people into giving us $70,000 to make this movie, you know? <laughs> Like 100% serious about that. Um, that felt like a, a fortune uh, to us. And um, so over the years, I kept building up in budgets. You know, Your Next was about uh, half a million uh, dollars. I think 700000 all in. Um, you know, The Guest and um, Blair Witch were both about $4 million. And, uh, and then, you know, Death Note was sort of my first, like, you know, stepping stone to a bigger budget movie that was um, all in, you know, uh, about $28 million. And so I was finally at this point where like, okay, I have an idea of what most budget levels look like. I've had a little bit of experience with VFX. And so when it came to doing this movie, it was one of those things where it was still like, okay, well, you know, $28 million is one thing or 30 million, whatever it ended up being. Um, but what does a $200 million movie look like? Um, I had no idea because I'd never even been on a set of a $200 million movie. Um, and so I remember I was invited out to go see um, uh, a couple days on Darty, you know, as he was shooting uh, King of Monsters. And he was nice enough to let me come and check it out. And uh, I was so nervous going there, just I didn't want to be in the way of anybody, you know, like, um, and, uh, but I was kind of impressed right away that it's like, okay, you know, at the end of the day, this is a, big budget movie and there's a lot of things that go with that um and uh but at the end of the day you know the core group around the camera is essentially the same i mean you, you still have the same amount of people you know standing around the camera you can only fit so many people around there um 
Uh, and there's a lot more people around the periphery of the set, but essentially, and the sets are bigger and more impressive, but ultimately, um, you know, movie, mo movies are a very simple thing when you boil it down. You got a camera and you got to put things in front of it. Um, and that's all it is. You got actors in front of the camera. Yeah, look at all these VFX uh, artists. Incredible. Um, you know, I, you know, I just want to pay tribute to everybody who worked on this movie. I mean, everybody did such an incredible job and I'll never meet most of you, but um, I'm forever indebted to you for just really just, you know, bringing all your talent and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, like when it comes down to it, you know, movies are just, you know, uh, getting things in front of the camera and shooting it. And it doesn't matter what the, the size of the, the budget is or anything. There's still a, a, you know, it's still a very small, simplistic thing at the end of the day. And that's why it's like, it's really funny when you think about, you know, sh you know, um, repurposing footage in a movie like this, which, like I said, I mean, I, I didn't even nearly point out all the places where we cleverly took shots from scenes that were originally designed for one other purpose and reused them in a, in a different way. Um, you know, it's it, it, you just have to be resourceful, no matter what 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 the film is. It doesn't matter if it's Godzilla versus Kong or you know, um, you know, something super tiny. Um, you know, it's movie movie making's uh, it's a wild thing. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm just gonna wrap it up at this point. Um, there's no point of me trying to to, to fill anything out. But uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of people that I didn't really mention you know, who really were integral into making this film what it is. Um, and I feel bad, you know, like, uh, we had great producers. We had, you know, we, the AD department was incredible. Um, uh, but, um, you know, and I should also give a special shout out to actually uh, right there, Matt Pusty, who's making video say I gave him a credit because, uh, he, uh, he did all those original score pieces that we didn't end up using. And Robert Wiley, obviously. Um, also, I wanted to give credit to the uh, the special thanks to the MonsterVerse directors, and uh, they all deserve it because they really set this thing up. And you know, we were, this is a sequel. This is a true sequel to what they did. All right, thanks everybody for listening. Um, hopefully, this wasn't too boring or ridiculous. And I hope I didn't say um and you know what I mean and all those kind of things way too much, and it wasn't really annoying. Um, all the best. Goodbye.